prayers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. We're so grateful for a time to look into the word. Uh, we ask that you would give us hearts to hear your truth. Uh, hearts to know the scriptures, Lord. Hearts to know God. May we be like Moses who desired further knowledge. He had got a glimpse, but he wanted more. Lord, cause that to be us this, this evening, Lord. Bible's on our laps, Bible's open, looking at the Word of God, desiring to know this God who has made himself known to us, Lord. Father, we do thank you for each and every member of this church that calls this church home, Lord. We're so grateful for them. We know that it is you who saves them, it is you who calls them to salvation, and you call them into a local church. And we're so grateful, Lord. But our hearts do go out for those who are homebound. Those who are recovering from surgeries and difficulties, Lord, that they've gone through procedures. We know that their hearts are to be here. Many of them have been here for many years, Lord. And I pray that you would just strengthen them tonight, Lord. Help them to know that this body loves them. And even though they cannot physically fellowship with us, they are still spiritually in our church, in our in our realm, in our membership, and all that we do, we think and pray for them. Lord, we pray you'd have mercy on them and care for them, Lord, in ways far greater than we can. But may we all remember them, Lord, as we pray for them and call on them and love on them. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll take your Bibles and turn to Exodus 34. We're going to try our best to get through the first seven verses. Uh, the six and seven are probably some of the richest verses in the Old Testament, so we'll end up slowing down as we get into that and uh, be overwhelmed with the glory of God in that, that particular passage. But as you are turning to Exodus 34, you remember last time we were in, of course, Exodus 33, and Moses is petitioning God to see him, right? He wants to see him. He wants to, in fact, his words, I must see your glory. Show me your glory. And he has petitioned him, and he's thirsting for knowledge of God. It's interesting, Moses had seen much, right? He'd been on the mountain. He had been, in a sense, face to face with the Lord um, as a friend, speaks with a friend. And yet there's a burning for more. I think this struck me so much this week as I began to think about this thirst and this hunger for knowledge that Moses has. And the more you see him, the more you see his glory, the more you should desire to know him more. So in chapter 33, this mediator, who is a picture and type of Christ to come, he cries out to the, see the holiness of God. He knows he's holy. And, and I want you to think about this. It, 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 it's a large request to desire a taste of the grace of God. But once you taste it, and you, you know, so many in this room will understand this, you want more. As a young man, I began to study the scriptures and began to prepare for ministry. Once I began to understand doctrine and began to taste those truths and crave that, I, I couldn't get enough to know the character of God, to know him, to see him. And I think it's one of the issues today. Somewhere along the line, we got derailed and we, we all want this quick fix to our issues. And so now sermonettes and churches are designed for this shallow teaching that's basically mostly about you. And we are left thirsty and hungering and not knowing God. And, and you know what it does? It leaves you in your selfishness. When we study the depth of God and his beauty and his glory, it causes a great hunger for more. And, and, and think about Moses here. This is a large request, isn't it? It's bold, isn't it? I want to see your glory, God. But I like large requests because with large requests comes an honoring of a God who can bring that request about. I think we have too small a request of God sometimes. Little teeny request. Lord, thanks for my food. I mean, I, you should do that. That's clearly a, a command within the New Testament to thank the Lord for our food. But we often think so small, don't we? I mean, when we should be thinking beyond that. Think about it. 
these large requests honor God because he's capable of honoring the one who by faith requests much grace. Do you request much grace from God? Have you asked him? I need grace, God. He is a great God, and he's honored that you would ask him for great grace because only he can give it. And I think that's what Moses is doing here. Think about what he's doing. We've got two million people down the hill that had just worshipped a golden bull calf, and we're dancing around like a bunch of wild people. 3,000 of them get killed. It's a mess down there. No wonder he needs grace, right? So he goes to God, who has all things in his control, and God is honored that he is seeking that. And so do we have this holy desire to see and grasp a greater knowledge of the glory of God? Do you want to see something greater? Do you want to see? I think a lot of you are here at this church because of that. So many have made their way to our church. It's grown so much this year. And a lot of things we hear is because there's people hungry for the word. They're tired of their ears being tickled. They, they've come to faith. They want to know what the Bible says. They want to grow. And, and by God's grace, and only by his grace, do we open our Bibles daily and study so that we can feed that hunger. Now, on your lap since, uh, sits the greatest banquet you could ever ask for. Maybe on some of your tables. But I mean, think about that. The greatest banquet you could ever ask for a feast that satisfies your hunger for truth and contentment sits on your lap. This is God's word. It's what he's revealed to us. Look with me just quickly and along that thought is Ephesians chapter 1. And then we'll get into our text as I'm really setting up this understanding of what Moses is up to and what's he, do, what's he doing. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 In a sense, Paul had asked to see God's grace and his glory as well. And, and he had a tremendous conversion and spent time with God in the desert. Uh, Galatians tells us he had his, in a way, his own seminary out with the Lord. The Lord taught him. We hear him often say, I give to you what I've received from the Lord. So he has had this great feast. He, he knows what it's like to be in the presence of God and to to know him and to draw from his truth. And so he wants the church at Ephesus and all that would read this to have the same. And so he says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. <clears throat> what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ. And then he goes on to share the depth, the depth of the gospel there. But it's the same terminology. This is what Moses wants to see. Moses, Paul wants to see it, and he wants us to see it. He wants you to see the greatness of God's power. And often I think how many of us don't see the greatness of God's power because we are so consumed with the smallness of our lives and our issues. And we reject this great God. I wrote in my notes just in the introduction, I said, what is worship? This just made me start thinking about worship. I was thinking about Moses, and I was thinking about Paul, and I was thinking about myself, and I was thinking of all people who are servants of the Lord, right? The, the writers of the New Testament called themselves bond servants. And so I said this, it's nothing less than the forgiven excuse me, it's nothing less than the forgiven servant's response to the greatness of his Lord. What is worship? It's nothing less than the forgiven servant's response to the greatness of the Lord. The creature's gratitude towards his creator, the redeemed's recognition of the magnificent abundance of mercy to his redeemer. You're overwhelmed with him. See, that's worship. Worship is not this, Although there may take forms of that, but worship is you are overwhelmed with the magnificent abundance of a gracious God who loves you. And you know him. And you know him. So it grabs us. And, 
And this is just a tremendously worshipful passage, and I want to get into it now. Number one, preparations for the divine revelation. Well, there's always preparations before you get before a holy God. And Moses is going to take this, and you'll notice that in these first four verses that there's some practical preparations that had to be made before Moses could go up and meet with God on the mountain. Look at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, cut out for yourself two stones, uh, stone tablets, like the former ones. And I will write on the tablets the words that they were on the former tablets, which you shattered. <laughs> well, the first two tablets are in pieces. <laughs> and, they're, and they're somewhat of a reminder of the nation of how they broke their relationship with God. And I wondered how long they left those sitting there. Moses may have left them there for a while to remind the nation. But doubtlessly, Moses tried to take a new set of tablets and shape them to similar to what was given to him before. But there's no way they can be identical. There's a difficulty, right? Man rejected the word of God, and yet God says, make another pair and come up to me. Now, the relationship between God and his people had been ruptured. And, and, and again, we're under an old covenant here. Um, but there was a rupture between that relationship. Sin had caused a division between a nation of people and a holy God. Sin still does that to this day. And yet God in his graciousness led them to repentance. We see this nation, as we looked at last week, they mourned over their sin. And then when God began to spoke, speak with Moses again in the tent of meetings, they stood, they were very... They were very fearful in awe of God before their tents, and you can see there seems to be a change of heart. Now, this next trip of the mountain was not to receive a new covenant with new terms. But, but what Moses is doing, he's going up to be reintroduced to the previous covenant after Israel's rejection and, and how God restored them. So there's nothing new here from the covenant standpoint. In fact, it's just going to show more and more of the graciousness of God. Now, verse 2 says, he said, so be ready by morning. Remember, he's at the base of the hill here, in the tent of meetings, dealing with God. And come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. So Moses has his chores to get done uh, before he ascends up the mountain to present himself before the Lord. But notice the little phrase in verse 2, before you present yourself before me. What an awesome statement to think about. I wonder how Moses slept that night. How would you sleep that night? Uh, you know, when you're right with God, there's nothing to fear. But, but think about that. This is a God that is not seen in the face of Christ yet. This is a God that's transcendent. A God that is spirit. That a God that has revealed himself in pillars and clouds of fire. And, and he says, present yourself before me, Moses. You're the mediator, come before me. Notice that. Moses was to come like a subject comes before a king. And, and the reason I wanted to take a few moments out on this is because when you study God in the Bible, it's very different than how people think about God. I, I hear some preachers and pastors talk about a very lazadaisical presentation to God. He's your buddy. And look, I want to be careful here. We can teach a God that is unapproachable and scare people to death of his holiness and goodness and keep that. Or swing so far over here where he's your best friend and you sing songs to him like you would your girlfriend. But yet there is a, there is a God that is transcendent, right? He's unequal to all things. And when you step into his presence, there should be reverence, shouldn't there? Amen. And for somewhere along the line, we lose some of that. And so we're careful of the way we sing to him. And, and yet he loves us, doesn't he? And, he? and he tells us to call him Abba Father. And so there's this sweet, beautiful relationship there. But yet there is an awe for him, isn't there? And I think that's where the Bible helps us get to that. So it isn't this wishy-washy view of God or, a, or an unapproachable God that, well, I can't have anything to do with him. Like so many founding fathers of our country were deists. They just believed he was something out there, something greater than they could approach. Now, he is a God you can approach, and, and yet at the same time, he's a king. 
He's the ruler, owner of all things. And I like the way it's told to Moses, present yourself before me. Come the way I tell you to come. Look at verse 3. No man is to come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks or the herds may not graze in front of the mountain. Well, the holiness of God has changed due to the depravity of man, right? It's not changed because of the depravity of man. It's still there. And these are the early instructions that they saw previously, right? This is a holy God. This is the way you need to approach me. So the same instructions are just like they were before. But Moses is the mediator. Moses is the only one who can represent the nation, represent God's people. And again, such a picture of Christ. Look at verse 4. So he cut two stone tablets like the former ones. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took two stone tablets in his hands. Well, most likely the night before, Moses got all his chores done right. He got the tablets ready. He woke up early in the morning with, I'm sure, a nervous expectation to be in the presence of God. Now, the Lord is going to renew his covenant with him. This is just pure grace with with God, right? He's going to renew the covenant with the nation, even though they don't deserve it. But with that renewed covenant, he is going to reveal even more of his glory and knowledge to Moses. Moses has asked for it, so God is going to give it to him. I want to know you. I'm going to see you. Now, this means that he's going to give him great confidence in God. That's why I think why he does this. And I think Moses needs it. To go on and lead these people, he needs great confidence in this God in order to lead such a stubborn people. Now, second thought. The glory of our immutable God. The glory of our immutable God, verses 5 through 6. There's a reoccurring theme in the book of Exodus that, we, that really transitions from Genesis, but in more of a larger relationship. In the book of Genesis, you see a lot of names of God, right? God will provide and so forth all through that. But Exodus has its share too. And so what we see in this reoccurring theme of the book of Moses is God revealing himself through divine names. Now, now remember, as we go through this, when you see the name of God, that means his essence is glory. And so all the way through Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses is before the burning bush, um, there it is Yahweh, I, the I am God, right? All inclusive, all things underneath me. Chapter 15, verse 26, he is the God who heals. 17, 15, he's the God, uh, he is the Lord, um, the Lord is my banner. Uh, 31, 13, these are all names that are given along the way. The Lord is the one who makes you holy. Now, the revelation of the name of God was central to Israel. Because they would, they would have names for God that would remind them of his power and his authority and the way they understood him. And this gets written all through their, their language, uh, all through the book. Uh, Psalms chapter 86, verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. So that gets repeated there. There's several other times the same truth that we're going to see in 6 and 7 gets repeated throughout. Psalms 103 repeats it again. If you read through the book of Numbers, you find it repeated several times there. Deuteronomy, this, these verses are recorded. Um, many of the minor prophets, even like prophets like Joel and Jonah, all remind the reader of this great statement of God, this God who's gracious and compassionate and slow to anger. This is a statement that the nation of Israel holds on to and we hold on to as well. Now, verses um, 6 and 7 are constantly put in front of the nation so they don't want to forget this. But notice first that the Lord is able to come close in His superior love without compromise, without compromise His holiness. Look at verse 5. So the Lord descended in the cloud. He stood there with Him, that's Moses, as He called upon the name of the Lord. Now, here we have this transcendent God unequal to anything else, once again descends in this cloud of our Sinai and he's in, in the presence of the mediator. Here's the mediator. Here's Moses in his presence. And notice Moses stood in his presence and he called out the name of the Lord. So what Moses is doing here as he calls out the name of the Lord, as he's talking with the Lord, he's calling out the truth of who he is. So when Moses stands in the presence, he is saying, you are this Lord. You are the I am God. You are the provider God. You are the God that makes us holy. He's calling out the name of God. 
Now, I want you to think about this. Do you pray that way? When was the last time you prayed and you just prayed out the names of God as you came into his presence in your time of prayer that you call out names of who he is? God, I want to thank you this morning that you are my provider. You are the one who makes me holy. You are the one that protects me and leads me. See, that was, that was uh, Moses' way of worshiping God as he came into his presence. He called out the name of the Lord. And, he, and, and so the name, what did he have? He had these names that meant these truths. And so he called those out, speaking of the glory of God. What a great way to start your prayer in the morning. God, I want to start with you and tell you that you're holy. That you alone are worthy of my praise you are a provider. And some of you know some names. You, you know El Shaddai and some of those Hebrew names. Um, and sometimes you get caught up in those names, but think about more the meaning of them. Maybe some of you are wrestling with how God is going to provide for you. Maybe personally or financially or medically or whatever it is. When you get into his presence, tell him that you know he's the provider. And see him, watch him work. So Moses is calling out these truths in front of Yahweh. Moses is still interceding on the behalf of the people. Remember that. Not only is Moses desiring knowledge, but he's there to intercede. And he's there to lead this nation to true worship. But then look what happens in verse 6. This is the answer to the prayer. Verse 6, it says, Then the Lord passed by him. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed. Just stop right there before we get to our next point. So this statement says that God promised Moses, I will meet with you on the mountain. I will put you in the cleft of the mountain. and I'll put my hand over you when I pass by you. So God has carried out the promise to him. You see that in chapter 39, verse, I mean, excuse me, 33, verse 19. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. So here is God fulfilling, in the beginning of verse 6, he's for, fulfilling the promise of the Lord. And let me just say this, the Lord does not hide himself from you. Ask him, I want to see your glory, Lord. And I promise you, if you open his word, you will see his glory, and he will pass by you day after day, morning after morning, in those that wonderful mercy that he has will be new each morning. Now, it's fascinating to me at this point that there's no description physically that Moses records, right? You've heard me say this before. He didn't come away and say, well, he was tall, stately, gray-haired, and, you know, very fit. <laughs> he doesn't say anything like that, right? But, but it's not what Moses saw. It's what Moses heard. That's a big difference. See, today people want to see things. They're just like Israel of old. Show me a sign and we'll believe you. Do this, do that. God says, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the mount. I'm going to protect you because you can't take my full glory. <laughs> and I'm going to pass by you and you're going to know who I am. And so it wasn't what Moses saw, it is what Moses heard. That's so good for us, isn't it? We can begin to reject some of this fleshly theology that comes out that I need to see this and I need to have that and I need to partake in this and that and so forth. Have you heard of the greatness of God? Amen. This is the Bible, right? This is why we open our Bibles morning and night or whenever your quiet time is and you come and put yourself under the teaching of God's word because you hear the greatness of him. And Moses does the same. And I love that God did this. And of course, God is spirit, right? And, and we'll see, I doubt we're going to get to it today, but next week we're going to get to how we see the fullness of God in the face of Christ. But notice, Moses did not physically see him, he heard him. And what he heard was truth. And it had authority. It is God proclaiming truth and knowledge about himself to Moses. And, and think about this is, this is the inspired, infallible, inerrant authority of the word of God spoken to Moses and describing himself to him. And you and I have so much more than Moses ever had. So much more. 
And yet, do we marvel? Do our faces need to be veiled because we spent so much time with him? Or do we ever even crack our Bibles open? Notice that this immutable God has not changed. It's not changed. Most joyous times in my life were, were just being in the Word, knowing God, knowing who He is, marveling at Him, hearing His infallible, inspired, inerrant, authoritative Word talking to me. There's no better place, is there? If you're a Christian, you know this. There's no better place when the Word of God is speaking to you. Notice that there's a double proclamation. He says, the Lord, the Lord God, in the middle of verse 6 there. This is God speaking. He's emphasizing the actual presence of, of himself with Moses. And he uses the word, the Lord, the Lord, um, and it is... It is the same word that he, Moses first heard at the burning bush in chapter 3, verse 14. Who, we are, who are you? I am. Remember that? So here's the I am God. And, and what a statement about him. And, and really, he didn't need to give anything else but that statement in all reality, right? I am. I'm everything. <laughs> I'm all-inclusive. I, I have everything you need. And I think what he's doing here is with Moses, he is renewing his covenant. He's renewing his commitment that he gave to Moses. Way back in that burning bush, even before the rebellion of the nation, I'm still the same God, even though you've rebelled against me, even though your people have, have deserted me, <laughs> I have not changed, I am. Man, do I need to hear that. Because sometimes my heart rebels. And I abandoned my God at times. We sing that old song, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. Does anybody resonate when you sing that song or you just think that's somebody else? See, yes, it's God saying, look, Moses, I know exactly what they did. But my covenant is not based on them. I am here to let you know that I'm a God of truth and I keep what I say and you can trust me. I am the I am God. Certainly God could have just left it at all that and sent Moses back down the mountain. But in our third point, we want to look at what God exposes to Moses. Number three, what knowledge did Moses learn from this immutable God? What, what knowledge did he? He came down with something more than what he went up with. Look at verses six and seven in the middle of this. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquities, transgressions and sins, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Now, remember Moses is seeking knowledge. He wants to be strengthened so he can continue to lead this nation. And wow, does God increase his knowledge of himself to Moses. And, and it's certainly significant here that the details and the characterization of God's nature begins with two of his aspects about his divine love. I want you to see that. Now listen to this again. It is significant that the details of the characterization of God's nature begin with two related aspects of his divine love. He is compassionate and gracious. So the very first thing he hears after God establishes him, I am the I am God, I am the same one I met with you at the burning bush, the first two things he establishes with Moses is I am compassionate and I am gracious. I mean, what, what greater thing could he have told Moses? And I think as the elect, as you understand that God has saved you, only we can begin to grasp these truths, right? Because so many people have such poor views of God. All you have to do is just witness a little bit, right? And just ask people what they think of Jesus or what they think of God. Asking them what they think of God, is you could get any kind of answer out of them. But you rarely, 
outside of Christians will you get he's compassionate and gracious. And it's only those who know him, it's only those who come into his presence and hear him speak know he is gracious and compassionate. Do you understand that? Did they catch that? If you don't come into his presence, if you don't listen to his word, you will not know he's compassionate and gracious. You will now make up your own God of what you think he is like because you rejected the word of God. The word compassionate is a beautiful word. In the Hebrew, it conjures up a mother's love for her child. It's a love that has deep understanding of this child's weaknesses and needs. And it's a love that has the ability to keep loving even after its behavior and lack of gratitude is not there. That's pretty much true of this aspect of this passage, right? This God who had done so much for them, who nurtured them and loved them and brought them out of slavery and split seas and drowned enemies and fed, has a nation that quickly abandoned their God and yet he still loves them. He's compassionate. This type of compassion is not dependent upon human response or merit. Praise the Lord. Because we always don't respond right to his compassion, do we? But it is a display of God's divine sympathy where he shows favor when punishment is due. That's compassion. When I deserve the wages of death and I get life. That's compassion. God has shown that compassion over and over and over. The next divine description of God's nature and certainly of his love is the word gracious. He's gracious. Throughout the scriptures, we usually find God's graciousness paired with his mercy. Mercy and graciousness always go together. God's graciousness denotes his disposition to show favor that goes beyond human calculation. Have you ever thought about this? God. I've calculated what your word says and I should die eternally. (laughs) And yet, you have been gracious to me. That's why we're teaching this series on salvation. We're teaching on Sundays. Because even if we've been in the faith for many, many, many years like some of us, and some of you who are newer in the faith, we all need to be reminded that salvation, the great love of God, is from his gracious character. And we find so much joy in this, don't we? God's graciousness is uncalculable. You want to add it up? Sit down, get a pen and piece of paper out. Try to add up the graciousness of God in your life. You're going to do it the rest of eternity. Certainly God has common grace, right? He extends grace to all people through his general providence. He constantly meets needs of humanity. Day in and day out, he brings the sun up, he sends rain. People drive around here, have no clue that God is being good to everyone. We also see his means of grace. God has a means of grace, and this is where he channels or uses certain individuals or certain things to bless human beings. If I talk to your neighbor, would they say that you are a means of grace to them? See, I think when I think about means of grace, I thought about this quite a bit today. I was working on this. I thought, hmm, Lord, am I, where am I a means of grace? You showered me with grace. I am forgiven and will stand in your presence holy for all of eternity on this earth. Am I a means of grace? Are you a means of grace? Is God channeling grace through you? See, I think the kindness of Christians should be a great channel. One of the best things that should happen to a person in the world is that a Christian moves in next door to them. That should be, that should be a really means of grace to that person. Now, there are certain efficacious grace or irresistible grace that we understand... That's because God chose us from the foundations of the world and, and he saved us for eternity and he's unfailing and he'll, he'll bring us to, to faith. He'll save us through Christ alone and we can't, 
we can't escape his grace as we've been learning. But here's a nation that God physically put that out there. They did not see God the way he intended them to see him. And so after all he did for them, they grumble and grumble and grumble. And in the end, build a, build a golden bull calf to shatter the first two commands that couldn't even get off the mountain to them. And before you jump on Israel too much, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love, prone to complain, prone to not be grateful, prone to look at other people and judge them, prone to not be content with what God has given us. Be careful. We have a gracious God, don't we? Often these two facets of God's love are combined with certain titles of God. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, just before Moses is going into Pharaoh, God gives him a name for himself and he says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. And we get the word, the Hebrew word El from this. El, and it is a, it's a Hebrew term which describes God's God that he carries out the basic, carries out the basic idea of his strength and power. We need a God that is gracious, but we need a God that has all the strength and all the power we need. And he reminds the nation of this. And I believe God uses this term here because this is actually what he puts in this, I am the Lord, the Lord, God Almighty, is, is the idea here. I believe he interjects this L this term for him here, because he knows that Moses needs to understand him and find divine strength and divine power that are consistent with his divine love. Now, I want to talk about this just for a moment. Follow me. It is easy for us to elevate certain attributes of God, certain characteristics of God over another. And I think what he's doing in this text, 6 and 7, he's showing, I am a great God of love, and I am a great God of justice, and I'm equal in all of them. And Moses needs both. (laughs) And you and I need both. If we take this American Christianity today, God is love and there's a little bit of justice and holiness in him. Way out of balance. And it distorts people's view of God. And the gospel gets destroyed in a sense when it gets conveyed that God is not consistent in all of his attributes. And listen, Moses is going, going to back down the hill to this two plus million people who are still stiff-necked, still obstinate, still will grumble, grumble and complain after this event. They will have snakes sent into them. They will have disease and pestilence come after them because they'll continue to reject God. So he needs to know that God is a God of love, but he's a God of justice. And you and I need that too, don't we? Some of our older adults in here, we were talking in our elders meeting, or some of us the other day, and I said, you know, it's hard on some of our folks. They fought wars. They have seen our nation at its height. And they watch what they're doing to the Constitution. They watch what they're doing to what they call equality. They watch what they're doing to all this stuff. It's very, very difficult on them. It's difficult on me, and I am not as old as some of you are. But I think what God wants us to do is remind us that he is equally the God of love, which we have experienced his great depth of love as believers, but he is a God of justice and righteousness, and he will not let sin go unpunished. And our hope is as his perfect, listen, his perfect balance of both of those. Isn't he worthy of worship? Isn't he worthy to just trust him? Instead of fretting and worrying yourself to death about whatever, whether it's politics or health or anything else, put yourself in Moses' shoes right now. And you are in them every once in a while. You've got a difficult situation on your hands. You need the God who is fully a God of love and fully a God of justice. And we love him for that, don't we? There is no weakness in him. Notice he says slow to anger. It's an interesting term, isn't it? 
word here doesn't mean that the Lord gets frustrated and eventually just loses patience and then just blasts you, right? Did you ever, anybody, I was, I was a kid, that's how I kind of thought God was. Okay, I remember running around doing some things I shouldn't have been doing. You're kind of waiting for the lightning bolt. I got through another day. Because you relate them, to me, I relate them to my father, right? My dad was heavy-handed on me at times. So when I did something wrong, I expected the heavy-handedness of God. And yet, that's not at all what the word means. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The term acknowledges that the Lord is reluctant to act against his creation even when they're in rebellion. Isn't that interesting? He is not quick to strike. Praise the Lord, right? Because I'm a dead man. (laughs) And so are you. He's kind and compassionate. He is slow to anger. In fact, he suffers long, giving the sinner opportunity to repent, to come to him in repentance. He does not give. I was in a class in my first year in Bible school, I think. It was in the book of 1 John, exegesis of the book of 1 John, 19 years old. And I had this, I was saved. I did not have a healthy biblical view of God. And I remember walking back to my dorm after that class and falling on my knees on my bed and saying, God, I repent of having a wrong view of you. You love me and you are slow to anger with me. It was hard. It was hard to get over that. My upbringing told me something different, right? Right? But my Bible was telling me something different than that. And I was trying to learn to trust the Bible instead of what I thought God was like or, or what somebody told me or what somebody had exemplified him as. I had a hard time getting over that. But that day, I'll never forget that day, I began to see God as slow to anger and loving me. Oh, do you see him that way, friend? He's slow to anger. He suffers long with us. But... At the same time, he's not a forgetful God. He's not a forgetful God. He never condones sin. And he'll eventually act decisively against it. He'll act decisively against sin. Most of the time, though, as children, we just see his grace and patience with us. That's what you see. I would say 99% of the time you see God's just graciousness with you. You may not even recognize it. You got up, you breathed, you ate, you moved through this world. Most of the time, all you ever see is the graciousness of God. He will discipline you after a while, though. Because he loves the ones, he disciplines the ones he loves. Now, Paul knew the graciousness of God, right? But he also knew it was not a license for sin. And so I think what the Bible's telling us here is that God is gracious and he's slow to anger, but he doesn't give you a license to sin. I think that's where the American church is today. The American church is more sinful and liberal than it's ever been. And there's now this new license because you can't approach anybody, right? You can't, you can't, you can't go after anyone and say, hey, brother, sister, I love you. However, because now it's, you know, who are you to do that? It's... We've moved into some kind of crazy error, but Paul said this, what shall we say then? Are we continuing sin so that grace may increase? Right, of course, there's, there's a soteriological context in Romans. He's proving that there's no way to work your way to God. All men are condemned, but no, there's no way to get there. It's just the absolute graciousness of God. But yet he knows what the Judaizers are going to be saying. Oh, you're just saying this free grace movement, right? This... This antinomianism, just, you know, there's no law, law's all done in Christ, just grace, 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 live any way you want. He's anticipating that. But in the same, I think we read this from an application as Christians as we realize, how can we who say we believe in the grace of God continue in sin? Paul makes a strong statement and says, may it never be, how shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? So a true understanding of God's grace is our greatest motivation to turn from sin. What else are you gonna what else is gonna turn you from sin? Your parents' rules? Well, those only last for so long. The morals you are brought up? What's gonna what is going to turn us from sin other than the grace of God? That's what turns us. 
And it's his grace that, that turns us from us. It's his grace that brings us to a point that we understand we've, we're living outside of his will for us. Look at back in verse 6, um, in Exodus 34, 6. I've got to wrap this up and we'll continue next week with this. But this is such rich verses. I, I knew I wouldn't get too far in this. But notice he says abounding. God's a God of compassion and graciousness, right? He's slow to anger. Then he says abounding. And I want to just deal with that word just briefly. I think God uses his word to help Moses and us understand that there is no limit to the glory of God. The word is limitless. His grace and his compassion and his patience, this long-suffering attribute of God is abounding. Titus, Paul tells, tells Titus that he poured out the spirit upon us. He lavished it upon us. It's the same type of uh, thought. There's more than you can ever exhaust. God is bounding with these things. I think what he's communicating to Moses in this very difficult job that Moses has, but also communicating to us is that he does far more exceedingly than you can ever ask or think. And let me add this, or even appreciate in this life. when we suffer sometimes we slow down and go oh what a great God notice he uses the word loving kindness next this I am God is compassionate he's gracious he's slow to anger he's lavishing he has more than we need in loving kindness loving kindness is agape type of love here he's speaking of it's a love that is acted upon by a sovereign God he acts upon his love it is our Lord's attitude that is characterized by his ability to keep the covenant and that he delights in providing for those whom this covenant bond is for even though they don't deserve it. He delights in that. And God's love is unconditional here, right? He exercises it in perfect love, right? He provides this perfect plan, environment for our life on this earth and for the one to come. And so he's showing us daily his loving kindness. Sometimes you think, well, maybe Moses went up there and he just wants the back part of verse 7. Just tell me what you're going to do to these people. Because <laughs> I've already ground up the idol and made them drink it. How else can we really hammer them? Well, that's not how God comes across. Moses, you're the mediator. Tell them I'm full of loving kindness. I have more than they can use. Isn't that interesting? You know, you get unhappy with Israel sometimes, don't you? You kind of get like, what are these guys doing? So you look at yourself and praise God that he's loving kindness. Notice the next one, and we'll finish with this. He's abounding in loving kindness and truth. Half of the translations translate the word truth. Uh, the other half translated faithfulness. You'll, you might have either in your translation on your lab. Emeth, emeth, I've got to learn to say that, right? is the word here. It carries the meaning of a lasting loyalty because of truth. I thought that was really cool. There's a lasting, eternal loyalty because truth. He's full of truth, and so he's loyal. He's loyal because he's full of truth. You see that? And it's hard. It's a tough word. It's translated really good in the English. Remember, we have, to, we have a lot of English words to try to explain these great words that God gave us in the original language. But this is who he is. The point is, the Lord's commitment to his covenant, which is not always matched by the covenant bearers, right? He is going to be truth. Paul, in his letter before he died, 2 Timothy 2.13, said, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Well, that's a verse to cling to, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know how many times I told the Lord, Lord, thank you for being faithful to me when I've been unfaithful. Thank you for sticking with me when I fret and worry and complain. Thank you for not giving up on me. I think this means whatever or whomever the Lord has committed himself to, we can be certain that he will not depart. 
I don't know who the elect are. You don't know who the elect are. But here's what I do know. God will never leave his elect. That's what he does. Philippians 1 said it this way, For I am confident of this very thing, Paul said, that he who began a good work in you will complete it, will make it perfect in the day of Christ Jesus. And so his truth and faithfulness form a bond that only believers can grasp. But we'll leave off there. Mark that in your Bible. We'll come back. Some rich stuff still to go ahead. We'll get to next week. But uh, I hope you've got to stand in the presence of God a little bit today. I hope your countenance is glowing a little bit because you walked into him and you heard him. You heard him today. That was the goal of this message. Father, thanks for our time together in the word. May we be hearers of you, Lord. And then doers, Lord. May we not come face to face with, with such an almighty God, a God who provides, a God who makes us holy, all these great names that display your glory, Lord, and not be changed. Lord, once saved, always changing. You're always conforming us to the image of your Son. We pray that tonight, just for a few minutes, we came under conformity. Just a little more. Lord, I pray for all of us, myself included, Lord, where there's sinful tendencies in our life, we would repent of them tonight. We've been in the presence of God. We see who you are, a loving God. God who brings grace and compassion, bounding in love and kindness, slow to anger. Lord, I pray that this would bring us to repentance. Probably each one of us have an area right now that's going through our mind and our heart that needs to be turned from. May your character and your beauty and all who you are cause us, Lord, to turn from sin and run to you, Lord. Run into those open arms that you have. May you hold us, Lord, and take us into eternity knowing that you will never abandon us. Lord, thanks for those who have been so faithful for so many years here, Lord, so many dear seniors here that have loved you for so long and studied your Bible. So many new folks that have come that growing in Christ, Lord, and part of a, want to be part of a church that still has such a high view of God and high view of the Word of God. I pray, Lord, that you would use us, keep us humble, keep us pliable, Lord, to what you want us to do. But Lord, most of all, keep us in your presence through the word of God. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.